0: This is going to be the best book you ever read. Like, this is your new favorite
1: book. I need to go be introverted.
2: Welcome to Books in the City Pod. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Books in the City. I'm Libby. I'm Emily. I'm Kayla. I'm Becky. And we are... For friends and podcast hosts who like to get together
3: and talk about books once a week, so that's what we're here to do. Thanks for joining us. I have an announcement for. It's not an announcement. It's a. It's a call. It's like oh. um, a bat signal that I'd like to send out into the the books in the city fan universe. Um, I don't know if we have any coders or you know um, app developers type people out there, but as you know, we would like to add a search feature to our website so that you guys can search by genre, you can search by host, you can search by you know author and find out if we've talked about a book. You can see what books we've talked about and find the episode and the book link much easier. Um, but this takes coding. And none of us are coders <laughs> and it's tricky. I've tried to teach myself and um, it's just too much for me. So if there's anybody out there who knows how to do coding and specifically coding on Wix platform, let us know if you'd like to help us out. Um, hit us up in the DM, send us an email, whatever works for you and let us know. This is, this is your bat signal.
2: Um, in other really exciting news our book club started yesterday maybe you have noticed if you are Mm -hmm. a fan in the fan club but um yeah we're we're diving into the x talk by rachel and solomon it's wonderful there's going to be discussion questions for the rest of the month so keep your eyes peeled and if you are behind it's fine. You can join at any time and just chime in on the conversations late or if you've read the whole book, just don't post any spoilers, but like
3: jump in. We're excited to keep
2: talking to you about the book. Yeah, the
3: chats will stay active even af- after we've moved on to the next chat. So yeah, and know no the memes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: extra, extra book content coming to you live the whole week.
3: So, Emily... How are our fish friends? They're doing
1: okay, just like <laughs> me, just okay. Um, they're excited to find no, love. No. <laughs> they're they're in a romantic spirit. Um, it's fish fish time <laughs> once again. Fish time. <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> It'll catch yeah. on because they're like in the mood. Bam, chicka bam, wow. They want to know. It's Who would be your fictional Valentine and what candy would you want to give them? AKA, what is your favorite Valentine candy? And these are two fish twins, both (laughs) called Amanda. Aww. (laughs) Thanks, Amanda. Amanda's, both of you. Amanda, if you will.
3: (laughs) I have to think about this. I think that my candy would be. Definitely not those hearts with the little things on them.
1: Oh, surprise, I love those. Of
3: course you do. Shocker.
1: Whoa. (laughs) The former lover of candy corn. Not former. She still loves candy corn.
2: (laughs) Always and forever. Hits us
1: with another another chalky edible. (laughs) Okay,
2: if they weren't classic (laughs) holiday candies, don't you think that they wouldn't be in the stores if nobody was buying them?
3: People are buying them for decor, like potpourri. Oh, my God. And then God. they're throwing it in the trash after the season. That's <laughs> my guess.
1: You heard it here first. Libby continuously eats <laughs> I decorations. Love wax and chalk. <laughs> oh,
3: my God. I think my favorite's... It's not a Valentine's candy, but, like, Kit Kats. Oh.
1: All right. Mm-hmm. That'll do. That'll do, donkey.
3: I feel like it's got to be chocolate. I do love... Oh, you know what? I take it back. Rewind. The Dove mini, like, mm. single heart-shaped oh, Dove yeah. chocolate ones. Those are nice so good my mom always used to like all year round keep those in the house like in a little like bowl and i would eat them like crazy so those are my favorite i don't know who my valentine would be come back to me
1: did you guys ever do um like valentines for class like the little elementary school like foldable valentines yeah oh yeah
3: yeah i always hated it (laughs) i was actually telling libby this um Oh I loved it. I don't like Valentine's Day and it's all because of my high school had <laughs> my God. the top 16 singers in the choir were like they were called the merples mer people. I don't want to get into it. We're but already they, in it. You could pay five dollars to have them go to your friend or your significant other's class bring them up Interrupt class, bring them up to the front of class, and they would be serenaded by the choir.
1: Oh no. A and nightmare. it was
3: so upsetting for me. I was like, I would tell all my friends, don't you dare get me that, or we will not be friends anymore, because that would be my nightmare. Did you get serenaded? I never got serenaded. No. Oh. <laughs> they all listened. And so that is why wow. I don't like Valentine's Day. Because of the Murples? Because of the Murples. <laughs> i always loved it because my mom
0: would get us like little goodie Aww. bags and with like things in it not just candy like and she was like so extra Aww. about it i don't really like candy i've spoken about this before but i completely forgot that this was a thing until this week my best friend texted me a picture of the sweet heart Oh, sweetheart. love that! Well, speaking of chalky and my yeah and my mom used to Like every holiday, she'll like decorate and put out like candy corn is out. Like she puts out the decorative candy and we would sit and like eat. (laughs) They're so sour. Like my taste buds would be gone. Like it was so bad for me, but like so good. I don't think I've had one in probably like since high Mm -hmm. school. Wow. But I guess that would be my Valentine candy. And for my fictional crush, I have a new one. And it's in the book I'm going to talk about today. So I feel like I shouldn't say it right now.
1: I'm intrigued. Suspense. I prefer chocolate over like savory items or um, like sour items like Starburst or anything. But I will say if anybody wants to hook me up with Girl Scout cookies, tis the season I brought it up last year. No one took (laughs) me up on it. But (laughs) if you have access to lemonade Girl Scout cookies, you'd be my Valentine forever. And I do have a book, Valentine, that I have talked about on the podcast. That's Severe from, take a hint, Danny Brown. Love him. Also, Dominic Yuen from uh, the X Talk.
3: What a hottie. Oh, wow. Right? New one. Actually, while we're talking about Girl Scout cookies, let me just say, if you want to buy cookies, you can go on the Girl Scout website. If you buy from Troop 6,000, the money goes towards a troop that is in the homeless shelter system in new york city so check it out troop Six we we'll include the link in the show notes i don't even remember who i said my fictional crush crush was before you didn't
2: i know literally well we've had this conversation before and i always feel very strange because it's like ya characters and i'm like like literally it just came to mind was kaz brecker and i'm like okay that's one
0: problematic oh that's fine i have a crush on him too I think the thing, though, is that YA books, like, I like, I usually am more into the guys in YA books because it's, like, more, like, angsty, almost. Like, it builds up those feelings. Does this sound weird? But I think it's more yeah. in, like, I don't know. When you read it, you're 17. Yeah.
1: Or I age them up mentally. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, yeah, I don't... the protagonist is 26 <laughs> and so is the romantic interest. Yeah. Well, and he
2: also does not seem like a 17-year-old person. So, um, but I'm going to keep thinking about that. But my candy, I am a huge fan of the Reese's Hearts. Oh, good call. Any of the holiday-shaped Reese's are just, like, superior because it's a better ratio of chocolate to peanut butter, in my opinion, compared to, like,
3: just the cup. So
2: the Hearts are my favorite candy.
3: I I, I don't have... Um, A fictional valentine. Were you Googling it? No. <laughs> 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 I wasn't, no. Yeah, were you just Googling? <laughs> Jude Law. Literary, Literary crushes. <laughs>
2: Jude Law. Jude. Is Ryan
1: Gosling in any books? I don't oh, know. Man.
3: Mr. Tumness, that's who. Uh, oh, oh, my god! yeah, that was in my Ooh. Instagram
1: story. I asked a question about, in the Chronicles of Narnia, the movie, was anyone else attracted to Mr. Tumnus, like, as a kid or as an adult? It's James McAvoy, by the way, even though he's all, like, mm-hmm. furred up and stuff. Who is
3: the person that I have the Only crush half. on in this situation, not the character Mr. Tumnus.
1: I, I see. So that's kind of cheating. Yeah, that's not what she asked. James is real, <laughs> I think, probably. Last time I checked. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so some people brought up that mr tumness is um a bit of a narc in the book and not on purpose though. that's a fair not on purpose and that's a fair thing i think being a narc makes you less hot but still
3: <laughs> cutie okay so to to summarize this fishbowl experience um, <laughs> this was a bit of a mess kit kats <laughs> i don't know who my crush is Kayla said, Chalk. Skittles. Um, no. Oh, Skittles. <laughs> Not Skittles. <laughs> Not Skittles. Sweetheart. The heart.
0: tarts. Sweetheart. Su- thank you. Sweetheart. Are we close? And Come on. Wait till the end of the episode. Although I'm sure people saw what book I'm talking about.
3: And then Emily. Emily's Zaff, in and and Zaff and Girls and Is got back here? Dan? <laughs> Just kidding. I left. Uh,
2: mine's Reese's Hearts. And I'm not, I'm not choosing Kaz. It just feels too problematic. So no crush for me either.
3: All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks.
1: Uh, should we talk about books? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Who's first? Oh, wait. Oh, my God. I'm going first. All right. Today, I'm talking about Black Buck by Mateo Ascoripor, And it came out this year. And shouts to the library for putting it up so that it was available, like, a couple months after it came out. This book took me on a journey. I was entertained. I was shocked. I was invested. Um, And I think a lot of that is because I listened to it on audiobook. Oh, nice. And the narrator, Zena Robinson, was, like, amazing. I... Want to give him an Oscar, Emmy, wow. Tony, whatever the <laughs> yeah. equivalent of an audiobook <laughs> All is. All of them. Because he performed the hell out of this work. Wow. Just like a moment for him. And I think I was realizing why audiobooks sometimes are hit or miss for me. Because when I read a book, I'm like performing it in my head. And sometimes when a narrator just like deadpans everything, it makes the reading experience less for me. But that's not this guy. Zeno crushed it. I'll try and describe as much as I can, just know that where this novel starts and where it ends up are like two very different places. It's a satire, and the title is a play on a Reconstruction-era racial slur against Black men. So both of these kind of enter into the themes of the book. So the novel opens up, and we meet 22-year-old Darren, who's underemployed, a former valedictorian from Bronx Science High School, and those... Of you not familiar, that's one of the best in the country. Uh, he's living at home in his mother's three-story brownstone in Bed-Stuy, and he's working at a Starbucks in Midtown. It's a very New York novel, and he's kind of, like, comfortable with his status quo, being in his neighborhood that he grew up in, his friends, his girlfriend. There's a lot of consistency in his life, but we know that this isn't what he's destined for, and he's destined for greater because, A, Almost all the people in his life tell him so, and B, the book is narrated from a self-help style manual that's written from future Darren, who goes by Buck now. And he's a sales su- uh, sales tycoon, and his life circumstances change rapidly in the course of, like, a year. Whoa, what? What indeed! What a cool way to tell a story! right it's it's cool so there's a lot of like dear reader kind of like we talked about in plain bad heroine and then there'll be like sales tactics this transition from a starbucks barista to you know multi-millionaire happens because darren takes a chance on one of his regulars at starbucks by doing kind of like a sales pitch for him to buy a better coffee so this guy comes in every day orders the same thing and darren Gets his attention because he's like, you should try this, and gives him good reasons why. The guy like goes for it, and this regular ends up working for this startup company, and offers Darren a job in sales. And during training for this new job, A.K.A. Hell Week, that should tell you enough. We get a peek into what life at this startup kind of is. It's called Someone, which is like vague and I think kind of funny because it's like poking at random startups that have popped up. So working at someone, the work life is very culty, uh very like Wolf of Wall Street. Actually, during uh Hell Week is when Buck gets his nickname and the work environment is very white. So in fact, Buck quickly learns he's the only person of color, let alone a black man. In this entire company and much of the book covers like how his work life was impacted by this. And I do think the humor does a great job underscoring like what a microaggression in a workplace would look like. For example, like all the white people that meet Buck are like, you look like, insert famous black person here, but they're all different black people and none of them look the same. Like you look like Drake, you look like Malcolm X. So it can't be possible. It's kind of played for laughs, but it's not really like funny and that's kind of the point. I think this tension between like laughing and violence gives the book a really like effective tone. Um especially when some of the plot gets a little like wacky. The other thing I thought was really good was Buck navigating his life, like physically leaving home on his commute to get to Midtown and just like the way he's treated navigating these different spaces really highlights like what racism looks like today and in New York City and no one's really mentioned this in reviews or anything and I don't know if it's maybe because I'm like in a Marvel movie binge right now but I do think it's the framing of the storytelling and like the cover art because it's very like pop vibrant. y but the story reminded me kind of like a superhero comic book I was getting especially from the earliest parts you know the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse kind of vibes I was getting like that kind of rendering vibes of it that's just my hot take (laughs) and especially because we're getting like darren's transition into buck who becomes this really different person and he's on his like hero's journey has to make some decisions some moral crises and there are like plenty of villains in his story and that would have to be like most of the white people you if not all of them all the white people you meet in this book are pretty villainous or i guess if you wanted to be generous like the inherent systemic racism but honestly it's the people in this who as a white audience member I think it's important for you to like sit yourself in a seat where you're the villain in someone else's story because inevitably we probably are and that got me reflecting about kind of like the little acts of violence that you might impart on someone when you're not meaning to. like the way that microaggressions are portrayed or like the colleagues who kinda use Buck as a scapegoat or a token, right down to like the bed stuy hipsters and how they treat the bodega people. Mateo has kind of like talked about who this book was intended for and it was meant to empower like black and brown voices. And if you're a white listener, I think he intends for you to feel uncomfortable. And I thought the way that he frames this is pretty effective. The only thing I didn't like was like the last part because I really enjoyed the first part. It was this characterization of a bed that I've like seen and loved and I don't really see it in the media very often. Portraying bed as is like a community of people who grew up there. Everybody knows their names. You got like the guy in the corner, the family that works the bodega, like the stoop guys, the friendly neighbors, the families who have lived in the brownstones for ages. And like, I got to know a lot of those tertiary characters really well. And I felt like they were super sketched out. And that's like the type of New York that are the people who like live here and make a home here. And I feel like we don't get enough of that. In the media, and I became like really invested in our bedside characters. I could read like a whole book about that. I was just like in love with all of them. And the ending, I feel, felt a little less grounded in the way that like Buck treated those people in his life. I think the resolution of what happens, I, I wanted like a little more, I don't know, like four more books with all the people <laughs> who. A whole <laughs> grew series up with Buck. A
2: casual huge series.
1: I used to live in bed and the way that they portray gentrification is like very spot on. I think a lot of gentrifiers come in and they move into these cheap, quote, like cheap neighborhoods, right? And they view it as temporary housing, but really like these places are people's homes. Like this is where they made their family. Chances are they didn't move away during a pandemic and it's not a transitory community. So like when you leave those neighborhoods, you don't really think about what you leave behind or like the impact of your wake when you're gone like whether that be higher rent or higher property taxes or like insidious property managers coming in and like really breaking up this community of homes so yeah I just wanted like the best for Buck and his family and I would love it if people also read this because it was the type of book that I had a lot of out loud reactions to like I was laughing I was like gasping I was like doing a lot of physical comedy around listening to my <laughs> audiobook. so yeah let me know if you pick it up and we can chat about it you should film a time lapse of you listening to your audio book <laughs> so we could see the comedy right.
0: dancing around well this one i
1: was like i was like oh my god i was in the lab just like talking to myself from the plot twist there are twists that sounds to fill your head honestly it sounds wow. so good oh well, yeah i enjoyed it i enjoyed it a lot For this particular book, people really are strongly recommending the audiobook and that's the format I would like almost exclusively recommend it in. I think it would be a little jolting to read maybe, but the audiobook was like so, so entertaining.
2: You said it was like kind of satire. Is it satirizing more like gentrifiers in Brooklyn or is it more like the culty workplace
1: and like... Yeah, I'll be clear about that. So like the The satire is really kicking in in the back half and it's really more the workplace and kind of taking aim at these things like White Lives Matter and reverse racism and, you know, like, what does reverse prejudice look like and just really bullshit claims and breaking that down. Mm -hmm. So you spend the first four parts of the book in a fairly, like, realistically rendered world and then i think it's the last half that's where the satire becomes like pretty heavy like kind of in your face because for a while i didn't know why it was called the satire and then i got to the end and i was like oh, okay i could see why because a lot of what's talked about in the book is pretty like happens every day right so the satire just like heightened it at the end okay nice this uh that's black Buck by mateo Ascaripor, what did
3: you read it? It was like four stars. Beckett, what did you read? (laughs) Oh man, the permanent way to say my name, apparently. (laughs) I read the Lost Letter by Gillian Cantor, and it came out in 2017. I'm really excited to talk about this. It's a really good historical fiction Valentine's Day read, and it's not a Valentine's Day read because it takes place around Valentine's Day or has anything to do with Valentine's Day, Mm. but. I feel like we talk about, like, a lot of historical fiction that's biographical or, like, heavy on, like, this person was a spy or this, like, not real person was, like, super involved in this. But this book is, like, honestly 70% love story and 30% historical. Actually, maybe, it's probably 60-40, a (laughs) love story with a historical, like, spin. So, also, shout out to one of our fan club members, Larissa who's an expert on German history. So please go easy on me if I mess something (laughs) up, but also let me know because I don't want to go around telling lies about things. (laughs) Okay. So this book has two timelines. The first one is in 1939 in Austria, following the perspective of Christoph. Christoph is this young orphaned artist who he draws and he sells his artwork. One day he sees an ad that Frederick Faber, a famous Jewish stamp engraver, is looking for an apprentice. So he takes. Wait, the... you said stamp engraver? Stamp engraver, yes. Okay. So he takes the position and immediately feels connected to the Faber family. So in this situation, Christoph goes to live with the Fabers and learn how to engrave stamps, and that he's engraving like the plates that make the stamp. So that Frederick Faber. The stamp engraver he designs the design and then sends it off to become a stamp.
1: Is he related to like Faberge eggs?
3: Oh, I don't know, <laughs> Larissa. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> I don't, I really don't think so. Um, okay, I think it was just like a name that was chosen. Christoph is he's not Jewish, but he joins the Fabers in their faith whenever he can. He's like super fascinated and interested in basically becoming um, Jewish. So whether it's seders or prayers he's just like super keen to le- to learn about it he's also s- obviously super enthusiastic about the stamp engraving but that's not coming like very easily to him he's trying really hard eventually the crystal knock happens which is right by where the fobbers live it's if you don't know what that is i had never heard of it before this
0: really yeah
3: oh wow i
0: remember learning about it in school
3: well yeah as we <laughs> talked about on a former episode not, not so i so sure. did not <laughs> mentally show up to school. Um so (laughs) so the Nazis came, they broke the windows of the Jewish um owned storefronts and the synagogues and burned basically this whole town down.
0: It's like the night of broken glass. Yeah.
3: It's not long after this that the Nazis come and try to take away the Fobbers. And without giving too much away from this nineteen thirty nine timeline, Christoph he's forced to engrave stamps. Christoph, the one who's the apprentice, engrave stamps for the Nazis But he does this alongside of the Faber's young daughter. Eyebrow raise is in my notes. (laughs) Do they fall in love? They might fall in love. And (sighs) with the young daughter, he starts working for the resistance. Ooh. And he does this through stamps, which is so fascinating. And I'm not going to say much more because you should read it to find out. But... The other timeline is 1989 in Los Angeles. Oh. Yes. So we're following Katie. She's recently divorced and she's struggling with like she had just moved her father into a memory care facility. And I will say content warning, not in the description that I'm going to give, but in picking it up if you don't want to read like very in-depth things about dealing with Alzheimer's I would skip this one because it is, it's really emotional, that portion of it. So Katie's father, Ted, is obsessed with stamps. He's got a wild collection. And growing up, he would take Katie to garage sales and estate sales and thrift stores looking for any and all stamps that he could possibly find. And if he didn't find any at these sales, they would stop at the post office and pick up like the most recent book of stamps. So he just loves stamps. He thought there's got to be... So pure. (laughs) I know. Are there still stamp collectors? Yes. Out okay, there? so stamp collectors are called philatelists.
2: Fun.
3: Whoa. That's
1: a scrabble <laughs> word if I've ever heard one.
3: Yes, definitely. And there are stamp dealers. And I Googled it and there's oh, like five more. Wow. Me. Who would have thought? Are you gonna go? Maybe. <laughs> I do I did used to buy like stamps sometimes from like vintage stores just because they're cool looking and here i might have like some really valuable stamp so anyway i thought that was neat he left his the the father who's in the facility he left the collection of stamps to katie and she's like not sure what to do with it so she takes it to a stamp dealer as i said it's a thing um his name is benjamin and she tells him she just wants to see if there's anything interesting or rare in the collection her her dad talked about like the hope diamond if you know what the hope diamond is it's like the super rare diamond from the titanic no when she throws it overboard It's <laughs> not the right? Hope diamond <laughs> what is i've that seen one? it compared to i've seen that analogy before it's like <sighs> in a museum in washington dc i think mm-hmm. but anyway he they they use this comparison in the book that like there might be a stamp that's the hope diamond of stamps And so Katie's like, well, I have this collection. I have no idea what to do with it. Why don't I see if he did actually find the Hope Diamond of Stamps? So the stamp dealer calls her back and says there actually is something really interesting in this collection. And it's a stamp that looks really similar to ones he's seen from Austria from the late 1930s. But this one has been slightly altered. And it's on an unopened letter. (gasps) So they never
1: opened the letter when they bought it.
3: You never opened the letter.
1: Were they communicating with Nazi resistance people?
3: There's there's so many possibilities. I will say that the way the oh stamp god. is placed on the letter upside down, in that time it was like a symbol for like this is a love letter. Whoa whoa whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, that's whoa, not what? where I thought that was going. <laughs> but the way the stamp is altered oh. is really specific. Wait, this is called the <laughs> lost letter. The lost right letter. Now. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, I no. have the whole
0: plot But <laughs> not in my head what I think it is So okay. they
1: want to get together but the letter was lost It was lost
3: and then it lost oh, love no. Okay but wait I'm not done So <laughs> this begins This quest that Benjamin the stamp oh. dealer And Katie go on And it takes them to England And Germany and oh, back wow. they find Wait out. is
1: the stamp dealer hot Now I want
3: everyone to get together Yeah to how old is he dude oh. they fall in love They might you know (laughs) so they are trying to figure out who who the letter is for because there is a a name on the letter they try to find the person they try to figure out the stamp all that all the details and it's so romantic it really is the whole Ah. book is just so romantic in in multiple ways it was so good it's a love story it's mixed with the historical like mystery so you're on the edge of your seat you're like oh my gosh what is this letter and the other really interesting thing about this is that in the 1989 timeline, the Berlin Wall falls. Oh, wow. Oh, <gasps> I see. And it's super relevant for Katie. It's super relevant. <gasps> They've been trapped um, apart For a lot the of different reasons. On, the,
2: on each side of the wall. Oh, my God.
3: <laughs> no. But I thought it was really interesting because I don't know much at all about the Berlin Wall. And I'm so interested in learning more about it now. So I'm really happy I read this. Wow. I gave it five stars. What is that again? Oh, well, yay. It's really good. I highly recommend. Ooh. This is The Lost Letter by Jillian Cantor.
0: So this author, when you said her name, I was like, that's so familiar to me. She has a bunch of books, but one of them in another time is the most unique World War II book I've Ooh. ever read. It's like weird time travel, but it works and it's so good. And she has one coming out really soon about oh, the nice. scientist Marie Curie.
1: Oh, <laughs>
3: yeah. A scientist?
0: Yeah, Emily.
3: Yeah, I really liked this. This author is definitely somebody I'm going to read more of.
0: Oh man, I need to read this. I'm like putting it on my list right now.
3: Libby, what did you read?
0: Okay, I
2: read What We Lose by Zinzi Clemens. And this came out in July 2017. Content warnings just kind of for the book. Like I'm not going to linger too much on these things. But there is a lot of grief, death of a mother, abortion, and sexual assault in this book. So it's, it's uh, not a light one. This was Zinzi Clemens' debut novel. And I was reading about it after I finished. And I found out it was like semi-autobiographical for her. She did interviews about what the process of writing this book was like for her in the wake of losing her own mother. So that was interesting to just know in hindsight. So the main character is named Thandi and this book is mainly about her mourning the loss of her mother. Thandi's mom has cancer and the book is kind of Stream of consciousness, like diary entry style portrayal of her time leading up to, during, and after the diagnosis. But the narrative style is like super fragmented. There's no like rhyme or reason to the timeline of events. And so it really gives it the feeling of like I'm reading someone's diary. But it also kind of makes it so that the book is about like a lot, like it's all sort of anchored to this point with her mom but it's about so much more and there's so much you know before and after and just kind of about like Thandi's journey through life. So like beyond that plot point it's about her own journey as a mother later in life like Thandi's journey and her shifting relationship with her father. Also she has a unique relationship to her blackness Uh, something I really want to drive home with this is the format and the structure is like very different and kind of bizarre and almost felt like jarring at times but I think that that was kind of the point it's all told through vignettes so like some pages literally just have like a single sentence and that's like the chapter and then some are you know like two to three pages it's all uh, like very short vignette style chapters and then some pages are like charts like it's like a graph or like a famous photo that she's like referencing from a few chapters before oh wow that's cool it's yeah I don't know if it's correct to call it experimental because I feel like that's probably not really what it was but it felt like almost experimental to me because the semi-autobiographical nature and that it was a novel but it was all vignettes and it was like a diary and there's like nonfiction statistics from like real reference books in the book too so it was different It's, it's like I haven't really seen a book like this before that I can think of I really like when I'm reading a book and it makes me think about the title and this one did that because, like, the What We Lose title, I was like constantly kind of thinking about that phrase and what it was in reference to in this book. The actual phrase came from a pamphlet that Thandi gets from the hospice, uh, where her mother spends the end of her life. You know, in like the on the nose version of the title, it's about losing a mother. But then I think there's all this like self reflection on how Thandi feels about her South African roots and her mom has close ties to all of her family there and they spend like two weeks every year going back to South Africa but Thandi feels super disconnected from that place and like feels very disconnected and like she doesn't belong there and actually kind of like scared of that place but then she comes back to Philadelphia where she is from and also feels disconnected there because she's a light-skinned black woman in a sort of wealthier community made up of mostly white people Mm. so it kind of just touches on like I don't know what we lose feels like in reference to something broader like maybe what we lose when you lose touch with your roots or with you know whatever it may be so that was an interesting part of it Ultimately, I thought it was really, really powerful. All of this is fit into like 200 pages flat, I think. And I feel like this style book was really, really effective at showcasing how sharp this author's writing is. She conveys so much emotion and so few words really consistently throughout the book, which was super impressive. But then I did like kind of feel like this style became like the book got too wrapped up in the like vignette storytelling mode if that makes sense and maybe this was the point again because you're just supposed to be getting like one character's thoughts on a bunch of different things and how they move through the world as they adapt to their grief so I think maybe it did stay true to like how it, that kind of character study but like one of the graphs that was included was about the life expectancy rates in black men and women and in white men and women and like how there's a difference and white people live longer and, and Thandi's like applying that to her own life and realizing like how many of her friends she knows who have lost people compared to her white friends who have maybe lost like grandparents and that's it. But like, it's such a grazing thing she touches on that by basically including this graph and then like a page about like I noticed me and my friends were losing people at a much more rapid rate than any of my white friends and then it like moves on so I feel like there were opportunities to like really get into like the implications of that that's just one example but like you know that's like a pretty jarring statistic and like a heavy topic and ultimately the way that the story was told didn't really allow for like expanded thoughts on that kind of thing if that makes sense I feel like I clearly have complex feelings about this book because I'm like talking about how good and powerful it was but then I I don't know I don't know like what I wanted instead and I think it was a really effective like slice of life diary like look at this character but I don't know something about like that there was like a lot of distance from her too even though you are getting such a personal look at her and her thoughts and inner workings, you know, it still felt you were like um pretty removed from the character. So, yeah, I did I gave it 4 stars. I really really liked it and it oh, it's nice. going to stick with me and it like made me cry and it's again heavy, like if you're not in the best headspace, I think it's worth saving until you know you are but yeah it was good and I hope there's more from Zinzi Clements. like I'll definitely continue reading what she writes but I'm just curious if it would like continue in this kind of vignette style format mm. in the future
1: I don't know it sounds like it would be a good pick for like a book club or something because then you would have a lot to talk about with your friends
3: mm-hmm.
2: yeah Yeah, I think so too. I I didn't on purpose. (laughs) I didn't mention it because, like, I'm becoming a broken record. But I didn't really get into the plot on purpose on this one because it's so sparse. And um, so I agree. If if it was like a book club situation and you had all read it, I feel like we would have a lot to like dig into in terms of the actual plot and like what's actually going on in her in her life. Um, Because there is a lot that I didn't mention uh, just about like. You know, she moves to New York and she meets a guy and it's, you know, there's there's more. And that was uh, What We Lose by Zinzi Clemens. Kayla, what did you tell us about your
0: your book, Valentine? My new crush. Yeah, your new crush. Okay, I read The Dating Plan by Sarah Desi. I love this book so much. I stayed up so late last night. I just decided to read, like, the last 200 and 50 pages, which isn't even the last, it's like the whole book in one night. Cause so I was like, I, I can't put it down. Just a quick content warning I'm not gonna be talking about this, but there are mentions of domestic abuse and alcoholism in the book, but I'm not gonna get into that. So, this book is a perfect example of not letting other people's opinions influence your own because I've seen a ton of mixed reviews and I kind of pushed it down my TBR, but then I need something lighter and I was like, all right, let me just see what this is about. And I was obsessed with it. So it worked out for me. And you don't usually go for romances, right? I feel like I'd maybe do like one a month, one every two months. It's not like my favorite. I can't do too many in a row because then I kind of got like burnt out on them. I like them as like, I've been reading super heavy books, so I want something more fun, but Mm -hmm. that'll like stay up on it reading. So the main girl is Daisy Patel she's a coder a self-proclaimed like super nerd and she's from this huge Indian family I was obsessed with her family and Daisy is obsessed with Marvel and she has this emotional support dog and there are so many Marvel (laughs) references in this book that it was I had this moment where I was like oh that's where we are in our lives like these movies are so widely known that it's just like constantly (laughs) popping up in books because in the X talk too like the dog was Steve Rogers. Nice. If you're a Marvel fan, I think you'll, like, you'll enjoy the references. So she's 27 and to her Indian family, that means she's like done in life. So she needs to be married right away. And they're trying to arrange a marriage for her. She works for this startup called Organic Care and they make organic pads and tampons. And it was really cool to read about a startup because I work at a startup and it was Just like some of the things were very, very similar. I was like, yeah, this is what it's like. Did you say where she lives? So they're in San Francisco. Oh, okay. Yeah. What I'm about to say next, it's going to sound like a lot, but this literally happens in the first chapter. She's at a conference and she goes into the bathroom to get the pads that they have. You know, they have like the pad dispensers and tampon Mm -hmm. dispensers in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. So she is getting, she needs to get a bunch of them to use in their presentation, to like compare to their product and when she walks into the bathroom she realizes that in one of the stalls her ex is hooking up with her old boss uh, as oh, she's like wow. trying to like get all oh, these like no. tampons out of the thing like she's like oh my god like get me out of here so she runs outside and she literally runs into leah murphy my
3: new fictional crush oh my god what a meat cute is that uh,
0: Right. Like tampons flying everywhere. So, (laughs) so Liam was her older brother's best friend. I think he was, he's like three years older than her. And he spent all of his time in their house. Like they pretty much grew up together, but then he disappeared from their lives 10 years earlier after he stood Daisy up the night of her senior prom. He was supposed to be her date and he never showed up and she was completely, she had been in love with him her whole life. And she was so heartbroken and, like, never got over it. Like, the family still has this resentment towards him because he really was, like, a part of their family. And then the love of Daisy's life. So she's, like, what the heck? Like, Liam, I haven't seen you in 10 years. <laughs> and then her aunt shows up with a potential husband for her because she was, oh like, God. in the area. And then the ex and the old boss oh walk out. And it's just like so much. So she just lies and says that she and Liam are engaged to get everyone to back wow, off. Wow,
3: this is so like, many
0: oh, good a fake relationships. So yes, good jokes. yes. <laughs> so they kind of like joke about it, like when everyone else walks away, and then they part ways. Like that's it. They're not. They're like, whatever. That was a weird thing that just happened. Wait, does he? He like hops on board. He's like, sure,
2: yes, we're engaged for right now.
0: Yeah. So he's kind of like a bad guy like I wrote that he's a bad guy but like, a good guy like he has a motorcycle like he's exactly what I want. Like, <laughs> uh-huh.
2: <laughs> You're like getting flustered. And
1: blush. I Oh, I was like <laughs> he is my perfect guy. The motorcycle. <laughs> he's like, Wait Kayla uh-huh. tell me this would you settle for someone with a moped? <laughs> yeah I'll have a Lizzie McGuire moment Ooh. it's fine. <laughs> Sing to me pal. <laughs> yeah. Like a pink yeah. one.
0: <laughs> I'll have a pink one. She, but he like was always a player in high school, was the most popular guy, was the most like good looking guy in school. That has kind of transitioned into adulthood. Like he's a player. He works in like venture capital. I don't like he invests in startups that don't understand the finance stuff. And that's why he was at the conference. So he's back in town from New York, though, for the conference. And because his grandpa just died. And he's from this huge Irish family that reminded me so much of my own I literally wrote down this quote they said he goes no matter what the occasion when his Irish relatives got together there was music whiskey laughter and usually a fight and I Aww. was just like nodding I'm like yup and then there's like mentions to like Catholic guilds that were I was laughing out loud like it was just like very relatable it was also so interesting because when you're with Daisy you're reading about her Indian family and that culture is so fascinating and her the whole family like i love them all and then with liam it's like such a different culture but it's that same like root of like family and like it was just like two very different cultures but it was so cool to read about both of them so he's not that close with his dad's family and he and his older brother don't get along at all so when the will is read he finds out that the family distillery will be left to him which is wasn't supposed to happen it's supposed to go to the oldest son so his brother should have gotten it but if his brother gets it he's gonna he would have sold it to like help save his company so the grandpa left it to liam only if he got married before his next birthday which is in three weeks and stays married for a year oh oh my god yeah a marriage of convenience trope yes my my God. god So everyone right away is like, you don't do relationships. Like, you piss off every girl after, like, you get with them. So he's like, wait, I got engaged today. And his family doesn't believe him. But he and Daisy became fake engaged at the conference. So... They're going to go through with it? So he convinces Daisy because she really wants her family to leave her alone with the marriage thing. She's like, I'm 27. I have... She's like very good at her job. It was really interesting also to read about like a heroine that's a coder and works in tech. And she's like, I'm not like, I can pick my own person. And I'm also, I don't want to be married right now. So she's going to go through with it to get them to leave her alone. So she creates a dating plan to make the whole thing believable. And then that's when the whole story takes off and there's like specific dates that they go on. And like, obviously, things happen. And like, I'm just, in love with Liam. He the way he treated Daisy and like some of the things that happened, like, oh, he was just so such a good guy. And he seems like he was really cute.
2: Oh my gosh. <laughs> Kayla is seriously blushing. I
1: loved him. I am. It's like fanning. Somebody herself. get this girl a fan. <laughs> oh, I
0: was like sitting here like smiling and I was like, what is wrong with me? I haven't oh. felt like this about a guy in a book since Honeymooners. Mm. Wait. Do you get resolution on what happened at prom? Yeah, you find out all about that. They both have some family issues that also come out. But as much as I obviously loved Liam, I really, really liked Daisy. Like, she was so different from, like, she wasn't, like, normal girls. (laughs) She was just, like, such a different heroine. And it was fun, too, to read about a girl that's, like, obsessed with Marvel. Like, when she's upset, she watches Infinity War to, like, cry, (laughs) like, It was just fun. Yeah, I couldn't put it down. Couldn't stop thinking about it. I recommend it so much. I think this is like one of my top rom-coms that I've read. And then I found out afterwards that this is the author's second book. And the first one is about Daisy's cousin that was in this book. So it's like another romance universe. So now I'm going to pick that one up. Fun. And check that out. Yeah. It was obviously five stars. Love it. Yeah, and that was The Dating Plan by Sarah Desi. What's up next? Um, next is The Rose Code by Kate Quinn. Emily?
1: Um, I'm going to read Breathless by Beverly Jenkins. It is a bodice ripper. Oh. I'm
3: very excited. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Very valentine of you. I know. <laughs> uh, Becky, what's up next? The Divines by Ellie Eaton.
2: Libby, I'm gonna read A Lucky Man by Jamel Brinkley, awesome. and my Instagram handle is Wow.
1: <laughs> sleep, run, read, repeat. Yeah, mine's at the Lacey Library. <clears throat> I'll just say if you follow me there, you you're in for a hot treat like Mr. Tumness Hotness Polls. Okay. Are you
0: trying to solicit
1: <laughs> followers during our
0: look pitch for followers?
3: She's taking it to the next level.
1: Wow. She's like, (laughs) I need all the
3: help I can get. Wow. Well, I'm at Becky in the bookshelves if you would like some cozy content.
2: (laughs) Damn, do I need to say what's on my (laughs) page?
3: I'm at Karen White. And
0: you can find all of us at Books in the City Pod. Make sure you're using our hashtag, My Books in the City. Whenever you're posting a book we inspired you to read or our merch, we totes might be sold out when this episode goes up so if you wanted a to go check that out make sure you're following us on twitter at batc pod like our facebook page books in the city pod make sure you're following subscribes whatever you have to do on whatever podcast platform you are listening on leave us a review five-star rating oh and if you're still here comment leave us a
3: heart yeah hearts leave us a valentine
0: your favorite Aww. color heart Yay. on the instagram post for this
3: episode in case this is the first time you've mm-hmm. made it this far. Mm-hmm. Thank you to our Carrie-level producers, Diane Worth, Riley Harrell, Carrie Kissinger, Brenna Collins, Amanda Borgia, Elizabeth Jamka, and Susie Southwick.
2: Thank you guys for listening. Yay! Yay.
0: Oh. <laughs> I hope you had a wonderful
2: Valentine's Day. Good night.
1: Bye. Oh, yeah, happy Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah. Gosh, gosh. Or Palantines or Galantines intestines (laughs) oh my god (laughs) had to